Good morning. This morning's uh, scripture is Acts 1, 15 through 26, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have, com- have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must come with us as a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. We've begun looking at the book of Acts, Luke's, Luke the physician's a highly historical and accurate account to a Gentile audience, of uh, what happened in early Christianity after Jesus Christ ascended, what took place in Jerusalem and then in the regions of Judea and Samaria and throughout the Roman Empire uh, in the first century after the actions of Jesus of Nazareth changed the world forever. The, uh, The Gospel of Luke is part one of what Luke had to say, and the book of Acts is part two of what Luke had to say. So last week we saw uh, that on Jesus's orders, the apostles and the people that are around them, about 120 people in Jerusalem there, they're waiting. Jesus had told them to not go anywhere, but to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit would come upon them and then, and then to get busy and then to get moving and then to start working and to minister. But for now, they're told they're supposed to wait They're preparing themselves for a revival. According to Jesus, they would be his witnesses starting in Jerusalem and then expanding out from Jerusalem basically to the end of the world as they knew it at the time. That is a remarkable revival that Jesus is telling them they're going to initiate by the power of the Holy Spirit. But they're supposed to wait. Now, while they're waiting, they are realizing that they've got to start this thing and they're one man short. They've already lost one. Luke in parentheses, because it's not Peter speaking those words, but in parentheses, Luke is informing his Gentile audience that didn't know about what had become of Judas. Luke is telling his readers about Judas's infamous departure and death. So now the apostles know something big is coming. They've lost one of their numbers, but they have to be prepared 
for a worldwide revival that Jesus says is going to begin with them. But they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Have you, do you know what it feels, I know you do, but do you know what it feels like when you've, you know you have to respond to a specific need or respond to a particular circumstance, but you don't really know what God wants you to do? You're looking for a specific answer because you know, you know you have to respond, but you don't know that God said anything specifically about it. Do you, do you just wait indefinitely and allow good opportunities to pass you by? Do you just do nothing? Do you act instinctively and make mistakes that you later regret? Do you wait indefinitely? Do you act instinctively? The Christian is free to not feel afraid and paralyzed to do nothing. The Christian is also free to not feel compelled to have to make a decision. What I hope you're going to see in today's passage is that when you cannot see God moving, you can trust in what he has already said. When you can't see God move, trust in what you know he said. And I want to help us, I want to think about distinguishing between what we do know about God's will, what we don't know about God's will, and what we must know. We have to draw distinctions between what we do know, what we don't know, and what we must know. Now, what we do know of God's will, according to the Bible, is a lot. What you do know, if you're a Christian, or if you're anybody that has access to a Bible, what you do know about the will of your creator is a lot. God doesn't leave his people without guidance. He's already revealed and Rachel mentioned this earlier with the children. He's already revealed to us his written word. And here in this passage, the apostles are relying on it. Peter gets up and he says in verse 16, brothers, the scripture. Now he's talking, he's not just talking to the 12 there. He's talking to the whole company of men and women, about 120 people. And he says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Now, when did David, a thousand years before in the Psalms, ever mention Judas? Well, he didn't mention him by name. But, but uh, Peter quotes two Psalms, 69 and 109. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Apparently, while they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in the upper room together, the apostles were studying the Bible. They were studying and examining the scriptures. We know that because it began with Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, before Jesus ascended, it says that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they were beginning to interpret the Old Testament in light of Jesus' death and his resurrection. They began to look at the old, as Jews, they began to look at their Old Testament with new eyes because Jesus had died on the cross and because Jesus had risen from the dead. Now they begin to read the Psalms 
in light of Jesus' sufferings. The Psalms talk a lot about suffering. The Psalms talk a lot about enemies. The Psalms talk a lot about redemption. They begin to read the Psalms in light of Jesus' sufferings. They also, apparently, began to read the Psalms in light of Jesus' enemies. Because Judas turned out to be one of them, didn't he? And so now they're saying, based on interpreting the Psalms, that they had to replace Judas. That was the conclusion that they came to. By searching the Old Testament scriptures, that it was time to fill the vacancy. Before the Spirit came and before the revival began. You know, from God's word, we develop a guiding knowledge of his will. You know this, by listening to a person more and more, you begin to understand their disposition, don't you? Becky and I have played the dating game a couple of times in our lives. That's when you get a bunch of couples together and you, you separate the wives and you separate the husbands and you say to the husbands, okay, how would your wives answer all these questions? You know, what kind of superhero would you want to be? Or what's your favorite movie? Or, or you know, if, if, you had, if you had no time to cook dinner, what, what would you want somebody to bring you from a restaurant? Th- those types of questions, okay? Or, and then you ask, you know, the husband's the same thing. And then you put them all together and you see who were, was able to best guess their spouse's answer. Becky and I won one of those once when we were like in our late 20s. We won, at, we, it was at a Valentine's Day party at our old church. And we beat like 50 and 60 year olds who had been married twice as long as us. I, I, I'm not bragging, I'm just saying. And <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, my point being, the more you listen to a person... And the the more you begin to understand their disposition, what pleases them, what displeases them, right? So that you don't always have to ask them, what do you want? Because you already know if you're communicating, if you've spent time investing in that person and listening to understand that person, it's the same thing with God, listening to God, listening to him in his revealed written word, we begin to understand his will. That's why Christianity emphasizes Reading, studying, meditating on the Bible. Doing it as an individual and doing it as a community. Because it's in God's revealed word that we begin to understand his will. Um, The theologian R.C. Sproul said that uh, we can understand the will of God in three ways. And I, I once thought this was extremely helpful. He said... We understand God's preceptive will. God's preceptive will are his commands, his precepts, his laws. Love one another. Honor your mom and your dad. Don't commit adultery. Very specific commands. Do this, don't do that. His preceptive will. It's very obvious. We can go right to scripture and we can point to a verse and go, aha, there it is. It's very clear. But R.C. Sproul said, we also understand God's will of disposition. Meaning we can understand by God's word, his attitude. How he is disposed towards certain things. What pleases him? What displeases him? For instance, we know from God's word that God has compassion for the poor and the marginalized and those who cannot defend themselves. We know that God hates the wicked, but takes no pleasure in punishing them. We know that about God. We know that he desires that everyone should seek him and find him 
and call upon him. And we know that he loves to forgive. These aren't necessarily specific commands and do's or don'ts. But we see God's disposition. We see his desires based on his character, based on his nature. So God has already told you what pleases him. If you're looking at a situation and you're not sure what to do and you wish God would just open up the clouds and tell you or you wish he would just engrave some instructions on a stone tablet for you and he hasn't, he's already told you what pleases him and what displeases him. He's already told you what to do and what not to do. But there's also, R.C. Sproul says, God's decretive will and God's decretive will is his sovereign choice to bring about whatever he decrees should take place and this is hidden from us until it happens we don't know we don't know what God has ordained to come to pass until it comes to pass so While what you know about God from his revealed word is a lot, what you don't know in God's mind is a lot. The apostles don't know whether to choose Matthias or Joseph Barsabbas Justice. Now, if it were up to me at the time, I would have gone with the guy that had one name as opposed to three. This is just so difficult to say but I can't even remember his name. Joseph Barsabas Justice. Every time you, you know, want to go out for a cup of coffee or call him on the phone and you've got to say that entire name, just go with the guy with one name. It's a lot easier. But you should thank God that I wasn't one of the apostles. Because what they do, they're looking at, they ask the community, and the community, the community brings two guys forward. And, and these are two community-vetted candidates who are qualified because they had been with Jesus from the very beginning when Jesus was baptized by his cousin John, and they had witnessed the crucifixion, and they had witnessed the resurrection like the other 11 apostles. They were vetted. They were qualified. They were ready. And the community and the apostles couldn't decide between the two. They didn't know what to do. Now, what's so remarkable to me about the apostle solution is that it's completely unremarkable. They, ca- they cast lots. Very little is known about what actually happened when the ancients in the Bible cast lots. Were they stones? Were they sticks? Uh, nobody really knows. But the impression you get as you read through the o- Old Testament, because this happened a lot, it was basically like flipping a coin. And we do that all the time. So really, guys, uh, we're going to flip a coin about the 12th apostle. How unspiritual, right? How commonplace. All the miracles taking place in the Gospels and the things that are about to unfold in the book of Acts, and they flip a coin for seat number 12. I, I know the Vatican doesn't select the Pope by flipping a coin. I'm pretty sure. It was not unspiritual it was not an unwise thing to do the object of casting lots was to produce an unbiased result okay they were looking for an outcome that wasn't political they didn't want an outcome that within the community would develop division and factions now are they just 
throwing it up to chance? Are they being superstitious? Because you could look at lots that way in the ancient world. We do things like that today. They weren't being superstitious. They weren't, they weren't resolving themselves to chance. Not at all. Because in Proverbs 16, verse 33, the teacher said, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And then Luke tells us, They prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. In the Greek, it's literally heart knower. They call him the heart knower of all. Lord, you who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. And then they cast the lots. Maybe that's what we should do for the presidential election this year. We'll just cast lots so that it's not political. I'm joking. I'm teasing you. Um, actually, the apostles aren't abandoning themselves to chance. They are trusting in providence. Now, there's a word for you. It was the Westminster Divines hundreds of years ago in the Westminster on the other side of the ocean. Uh, they said, God, the creator of all things, upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and his free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom and power, justice, goodness, and mercy. And again, in Proverbs chapter 16, the teacher said, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So it's our responsibility to act. Sometimes you can't wait. It is our responsibility to act, trusting that God will bring about the results he desires. That frees us up. God, it, I once heard Tim Keller say this, the, the decisions belong to us, the outcome belongs to God. John Stott, noting from this passage, said uh, the apostles relied on, it's very simple, they relied on scripture, they used their God-given common sense, and they prayed. They looked at the scriptures, they used common sense, and they prayed. I really believe that's how Deep Run Church has come about. Okay. The clouds never opened, at least not for me. But some of us have prayed, have gone to the scriptures, and with God's help have used our common sense as we've looked at the people and the world around us. And the result is God has worked. And the outcome is, is not my doing. And based on my personality or yours, the outcome is owned by God. And this is what God is making it. Now, for you in your life, and your relationships, when you choose what job to take, you choose where to live, who to associate with, are you doing the same thing? Are you availing yourself of these in your decisions, the word of God, the common sense he's given you in community with other people who know him well? And prayer. The Bible says that you can trust in God's revealed truth when the hidden truth is unclear to you. I think that we resent not knowing what is hidden from us. Let me ask you a question. I want to know what you think. Why is it so awkward and uncomfortable to make a decision when you don't have details you want? Why is that 
not enjoyable. What do you think? The outcome is less certain. We do like certain outcomes, especially I know there are a lot of engineers here and you're trained to to make plans that produce certain outcomes. And praise God, science allows that quite often. Um, Right. If we don't know certain details, we can't predict the outcome. What else? (laughs) You can be you can be blamed for the for the wrong decision for the decision you make. How often do we wait because we're we're afraid that that any. Any negative consequences will be placed on us. Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. It is hard to act, and and it is frustrating when we don't know details, especially when we realize we're not in control. Yeah. 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 You don't like it when you have to choose between bad options. So it would, are you thinking like more information would give you a better choice? Yeah. Right, like McDonald's or Burger King. I'm at the rest stop and there's no Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I got you though. That's, seriously, I got you. Okay, anything else? Why, why do we not like having to act or having to make decisions when we don't know everything we want to know? Yeah. Taking a step into the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Again, back to that uncertainty thing. You, you, you don't know what's in front of you. And, and you'd, like, you'd like that next step or that next path to be lit for you. But what you see is, is darkness um, or, or uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah, really good answers. I really think that it is the human condition, meaning the way we are di- our disposition naturally apart from the influence of God, I think we just resent not knowing what's hidden from us. I think that we, let me be more specific, I think we resent not knowing what God has not chosen to reveal. You don't think it's true? Read Genesis chapter 3. That has been, that has been, our, that has been our MO since Adam and Eve left the garden. When they were convinced by the serpent that God was holding out on them, that what they had and what they knew from the will of God was simply not enough. And ever since then, it is our natural disposition to despise God for not revealing to us everything that we want to know. And there are two pitfalls. When we don't get the specifics that we want, now I understand if you have to build an airplane, you need specifics or we're all going to die. I understand that. I'm not talking about building airplanes. I'm talking about acting and making a decision in a complex situation where the best option is not clear to you. And yes, and yet you must act. When we don't get the specifics we want, we either refuse to act or we presume to act. When we refuse to act, it's because we're afraid. Like Cynthia said, we, we, don't, want, we don't want to deal with the implications. Or we're afraid of what we can't see. We refuse to act because we're afraid of what might happen. Or we presume to act, which means in, in our pride, we're trying to be masters of our own destiny. Either response is sin. Either response, the Bible says, is a denial of your creator. Either response is a lack of faith. Um, 
not acting because you're afraid is denying the existence of God or his providential care over all things. Presuming to act in pride is being God. So in our natural state, we either, we either deny God's existence and his providential loving sovereign care and plan, or we try, we try and hijack the providence of God and act like him ourselves. And the teacher again in Proverbs 16 said, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I don't think the problem is God withholding his information from us. I think the problem is us withholding our trust from him. So you, here's the thing. You know a lot from God's word. You know nothing from God's mind that isn't revealed in God's word. But what you must know, okay, if you're going to get at whatever you're thinking of, whatever that issue is, whatever that decision might be, if you're going to get out of this dilemma, there is something you must know, and it's this. The Christian, unlike the believers in Acts chapter 1, the Christian has the Holy Spirit. The gospel, the good news of Christianity is that God will give his Holy Spirit to anyone who will trust his son, Jesus. And stop trying to be God themselves and stop trying to deny that he is there and that he, that he can do what you can't do on your own. Actually, the apostle Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 8. Paul talked about the Holy Spirit there and he said, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. In the Bible, that means sons and daughters. It means heirs. Adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. A very personal term. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified him. There's something beautiful happening here if we relate it to Acts chapter 1. Because the apostles haven't received God's spirit yet. Jesus told them, you're not ready until you receive my spirit. Well, what does the spirit say? The spirit witnesses to our spirit that we are God's children. So Jesus says to his apostles, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to the end of the earth. And the Spirit, the Spirit witnesses to you that you are an adopted child of God. You need the witness of the Holy Spirit if you're going to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And you cannot do life in the universe without the Spirit of God that Jesus promises to those who trust in him. Now, the antidote to your fear is right here. It's knowing, what does it say? That God is our adopted father and that we are his heirs, okay? So the antidote to your fear from acting is knowing that your father, your heavenly father, won't let you lose anything worth keeping if you make a mistake. If your reputation is marred because of the decision or because of the outcome. Your father in heaven owns your inheritance and you're not going to lose anything that's worth keeping. Because he loves you and he's keeping what belongs to you. The antidote to your pride now 
is also in this passage, knowing, what does it say? We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, the antidote to your pride is knowing that suffering is a part of God's hidden plan for you. Why? Because suffering was part of God's hidden plan for Jesus. In Philippians 2, Paul said that, this is a paraphrase, but Paul said, so Jesus of Nazareth was God, but he didn't try and act like he was God. As a human being, Jesus submitted as a creature to his heavenly father. And that is, the, that is what allowed Jesus to go to the cross and die for your freedom from fear. That Jesus, not presuming to be God and, and choosing not to be afraid, Humbled himself and became obedient. Philippians 2 said he emptied himself. Which means, as a human being, he acted like the perfect human being. He did what you and I can't do. When he didn't see, as a man, the outcome, he trusted his heavenly father. And when he was forced to act, he acted basing based on what he knew from his heavenly father, what his father had revealed to him. And what Jesus, see, if he had acted like you and I, there would be no crucifixion. There would be, there would be no substitute judgment for your offense against your creator. If Jesus had done what you and I often do. But Jesus emptied himself, trusted God's plan, and won your freedom. Your freedom from the fear that is paralyzing you from acting. Won your freedom from your desire to play God and do what you want to do because you think you are the master of your own destiny. So when you cannot see God moving, you have the freedom through Jesus and by his spirit to trust in what God has already said. Are you listening to him? Are you learning more about his character and his nature? Jesus, what does it say? Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. There it is. That may be all you need to know. Trust in God's revealed truth, okay? When the hidden truth is unclear to you. Let's pray. Father, we ask for faith. We, we ask for faith to believe what you have said. We ask for faith to interpret your character and, and, and to behold your nature in your word so that we can live lives that are in agreement with your will. For the things that you have chosen to not reveal to us, give us humility as your sons and daughters, as created beings to trust you with the hidden details. Thank you, Father, that we are not, we are not subject to chance. Thank you, Father, that, that our mistakes cannot destroy your plan. Thank you for our Lord Jesus, who put aside his own desires to accomplish your plan. And Father, we today are the beneficiaries of his sacrifice. And so we are going to, in faith, embrace and celebrate his sacrifice for us. Thank you in his name. Amen.